I'm Pete Primo. This is the podcast for furniture and mattress store owners who want to make more money without the BS. Welcome to the No BS Sales, Marketing, and More podcast for furniture and mattress stores. If you own a furniture or mattress store or you work in one, this is a podcast for you. This is episode 23 with John Kalensik with Matrix Impact. John started off as a salesperson and quickly became one of the top uh, sales trainers that I've known. And his business has taken him in a new direction. And actually the name of, of, uh, of our podcast is how to hire the next great salesperson because uh, John has become an expert on hiring great salespeople and most of his clients are asking him now to help them hire great salespeople. So, so John, I know you do a lot of different things, and I want to keep this really narrowly focused. As a matter of fact, I, I think we're going to have to have you come on here two or three times so that people can actually understand everything that you do. But, you know, you started to do something that a lot of guys don't even do, and, and that is... Um, you started to put the salespeople in actual situations, simulations, and actually taping those um, those situations as part of the interviewing process. So if somebody out there, there's a store owner listening to us right now, John, and he or she wants to uh, do a simulation in their store, you know, what needs to be um, in a in a simulation to make it effective. Well, first, thank you very much for having me today, Pete. And my pleasure. Uh, welcome to everybody who's on the podcast and be checking this out. So, thank you very much. All right, so let's talk about what needs to be in a simulation. Well, the first thing is this: there's a reason why we call it a simulation. All right, is as long as we've been in sales, we've heard the phrase "role plays," right? And and role plays can you know have a certain connotation to it. The reason why I changed the terminology and called them simulations is you know, you've got to be as real life as possible. Okay, uh, what a lot of times people when they do role plays, they'd be looking for one specific thing and be kind of cheesy. You really have to be in the moment and really act this thing out. So if you know you're a store owner and you're doing a simulation with a sales rep, you've got to think about. The situation that you want to portray there and being a store owner I'm sure you've had hundreds of different customers come in and you know the types of ones that you want to make sure that your salespeople are prepared for so you want the simulation to be as detailed as possible in terms of how it's going to run out and what you're going to try and uh, do with the sales rep here the next piece is is this this is not meant to be some deleterious effort to beat up a sales rep this is meant for a real learning situation so if you're, if you're some, some uh, uh, masochist, not masochist, some sadist who just wants to beat on your sales rep and just say no all the time and give them the worst possible customer, then this isn't the way to go. What you're looking for is a good learning type situation where there was a lesson because something went a certain way that you're able to bring that out or not bring it out but have it filmed so you can point out what that person should be doing the next time. And then the final piece is, is what I was just talking about, or what Pete was talking about, is the videotape part of things. It's invaluable, okay? You got to videotape it because, well, put it like this. One of my favorite sayings when it comes to remembering things is that the, the faintest ink is stronger than the most powerful memory. 
And you know what the that that famous philosopher who I don't know who was that said that meant was <laughs> if we could just scribble something down, you know, we don't lose the thought. But we lose great thoughts all the time. We lose the next million dollar idea. And video is even more important. We do that simulation, and we might have missed something as we're going through it that we could use as a good coaching point, or there was something that was good that that person did that we can hang our hat on, or they can hang their hat on for the next time. And it also gives you a good benchmark, base mark for your current team and your team as it continues to evolve. So now you say, okay, here's Joe Smith. This is how he did on his first simulation. And as you continue to catalog these, Joe Smith on his second, on his third, on his fourth, you start to see either Joe's progress or his regression. But the point is now you've got more definitive evidence when it comes time to make staff decisions and you also have a, a library of this different type of information to share when you've got new reps coming in. So, I'm a store owner, and I'm trying to hire the best um, RSA possible. If I'm going to do a simulation, I need to make sure it's as real life as possible, as detailed as possible. And we're also, um, while we're taping this, we're measuring their ability to learn. So, uh, we're kind of putting them through the paces, and then we are... um, giving them some information and having them do it again and kind of measuring what happens to make sure that this is a person. And, 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 you know, it's kind of funny because great salespeople come in all different shapes, sizes, and and uh, ages. Uh, you know, young's not better than old. Old's not better than young. There's different pluses and minuses to both. But one thing that we know we have to have is whether they're young or old or in between, they need to be coachable. Yes. Yes, that's very that's a very good point, Pete. One of the things that you know that we've had, you know, situations I've had situations in the past is when you know and, and the way you brought it up is exactly right on. This isn't a, an event thing where you one one simulation and everything hinges on that. You always do multiples, okay? Minimum of three to see what they'll do in different situations. And then what it also gives you is, as you said, Pete, that opportunity to see, will they take coaching? If you say, if, if you talk to them about this and how they should tweak that, and you'll find out, are, are these people coachable? Will they listen to that? Or do they just think that they know it all already? All right. Now, if they think that they know it all already and their simulations are perfect, well, you know what? That's not too bad. But if they think that they know it all, you give them a couple thoughts on how to tweak this and how to tweak that, and they don't apply it from simulation to simulation, well, that should tell you something, too. That, that's great. So, so John, what are the top three things that need to be asked in a sales interview? You know, interviewing a salesperson is different than anything else. And I know sales is, is your specialty. And, uh, you know, so what are the top three things that, that our store owners need to, to ask in, a, in an interview? I'd say the very first thing is is you want to know what they think is the number one aspect of selling, okay? Not anything not anything generic. You need them to say that this is the most important thing in selling, okay? And the thing that you're generally listening for is that. You're listening to they say, I think listening is the most important thing. I think questioning is the most important thing. Or I think building relationships are the most important thing. Those are the three A answers that I always look for. Whenever somebody talks about... Uh, they start talking about presentation or product knowledge, which in their in their own realm are important. Yes, but if a if a salesperson doesn't ask questions, if a salesperson doesn't listen, if a salesperson can't build a relationship, 
you really don't have a whole lot there. So that's the first one. Okay, so let's set that over there. The next thing that I want to know is I want to know what their commitment to customer satisfaction is. And I have a series, a, a series of tiered questions to find out exactly that in my, in my interview process. And the reason why you want to find out what that is is you want to find out what lengths they'll go to to take care of a customer, both good and bad. Because sometimes you'll have that person who wants to help out a customer almost at any length that they'll give stuff away. And you've got to be careful about that person, right? Here, have this and have that. And, you know, and just comes back to you. He'll buy it if you just go down to $100 and something ridiculous, right? Now, so that you need to know about that. But you also want to know, you know, does the person that's really good in sales also have that empathy to know how to deal with somebody in those situations too? So you craft these customer scenarios where they have to they have to understand that empathic type situation that could be coming out. And notice the word I'm using. I'm saying empathy or empathic, not commiseration. Salespeople who commiserate that say, "Oh yeah." My company just sticks it to them with these high prices. Yeah, well, I'll do what I can. You don't want that. You want them to, you want somebody to understand you know, that, that that they know what's going on, but not to commiserate with them about price or about whatever it might be that the customer might not like. Then the final thing that I'm always concerned about is work ethic. And there's no one question for this. You're always touching on things all throughout there in the in the interview process, or at least I do. I pepper questions all throughout my interview questions with work ethic pieces because I want to know how they do things. I start out way back. You know, the first question I talk about work ethic, I say, yeah, tell me about high school and what kind of activities were you in. Okay, did you work in high school? Then, uh, then my next question is, if they went to college, I'll say, how did you pay for college? And then what activities were you in college? And then my next question, you know, along those lines are, say, you know, how long before your first job? And on and on. I want to know all through that if that person's a worker, okay? And that's the very beginning. And I ask questions all throughout the rest of the interview. So those are the areas I really, I really hone in on and tend to, you know, how can I say it? I mean, there's, if you want to say that there are five things that you need to look at, and those are the three areas, those are the three areas I really hone in on. Wow. Well, that, that's, that's, an, that's a lot. Um, you know, I had an old boss. Uh, my first boss at CERTA, uh, Jeff Allen, used to ask a question. Tell me about your uh, you know, favorite thing to do away from work. And, and I would always answer that question the same way. I love to fish. And then I would, because I think out loud sometimes, and I shouldn't, and then I would say, you know, I haven't gone fishing in a year or two. I guess I'm just too busy with work. And one of the things that Jeff was fishing for, he wanted somebody that was well-rounded enough that they had something going on outside of work. Yes. But if they said they belonged to five softball leagues during the summer, he didn't want that because that means yep. they're just spending too much time playing yep. and, and not enough time possibly working. Interesting anecdote for you. So we had a customer just not not too you know, not too distant future, distant past here, and gentleman came in. He just he just knocked the knocked the ball out of the park in the interviews, the the panel interviews we did. The simulations were great, and because of the process that we set up with this one particular company, uh, everybody asked particular questions all around certain things to make sure we cover every area. Well, we found out like you're talking about well-rounded. You brought up fishing. That's what brought it to mind. 
generally tells us, you know, how much he loves fishing, and and all this, and you know, he does he does this and the bass fishing, blah blah blah. He goes, and, and it came out with the interview with one particular gentleman that he is one of those guys. If you're turning your channel on Saturday morning, you go by Bassmasters, you'll see him on Bassmasters. Okay, and to your point, it's like you said, you know, at first there wasn't a concern. Okay, but then we started to explore that a little bit, and we found out that. He's gone like 10 to 12 weekends a year. And when those Bassmaster guys, they don't go just for the weekend. They leave on Wednesday. They get down there. They hunt out the areas on Thursday and Friday. And then they do the competition on the weekend. And so all of a sudden, this guy who was great throughout the interview process, because we found out he was this Bassmaster guy, and he's going to be gone for almost you know, a quarter of the year, <laughs> we're like, yeah, he, yeah, we're not going to go with him. And he was going to be put in a in a far-out satellite-type territory. Not the most apt thing for somebody who we have a question about his, you know, his work ethic or being too well-rounded. So, Yeah, he actually might uh, have had a great work ethic when he worked, but uh, because of his commitments to his craft yeah. as a professional bass fisherman, he just probably wasn't going to be able to give you enough time to make it worth whatever salary you were going to yep. give them. And, and and I think the thing that made it worse was uh, no supervision. Yep. And and, you, and that's another great point that you brought up there. You know, is a, a, by the way, it's always going to be a balance. You know what I mean? It's, it, you're going to find this person and, you know, like you said, you know, if, if it was a different situation, maybe that wouldn't have been an issue. Okay. Or, you know, let's, let's give you a couple real simple situations. That's always a, a judgment or a balance. So you get a, a, a young kid comes in, let's say he's 20 years old, 21 years old, all right? And let's say he's just super good in the interview, energetic, go-getter, always been busted his entire life, asks good questions, you can tell he's intense, you can tell all these great things about the kid. But then he does the simulation, and the simulation isn't that good. You coach him up a little bit, you see how he does the next one, and he responds to it, but his simulation still isn't that good, Okay. Now you're at that balance point, okay? Here's a kid who basically hasn't had any training, but he interviewed really, really well, right? Right. So you're like, you know what? I'll give that kid a chance as long as on the coaching aspect that he improved during the simulation. Now you reverse that and you take somebody who's <coughs> more like our age, <coughs> all right? And let's say they did good on the interview, okay, but their simulation wasn't that great. So for those of uh, our listeners who aren't familiar with our age, uh, <laughs> Oh, I, I'm, I'm 55, I'm so... I'm 31. I'm joking. Yeah. You wish you were <laughs> um, 31, John. Yeah, I, I'm 50 years old, too. So, yeah, if somebody comes in and does a good interview, you know, but then they get into simulation and they're closer to our age, or they've been in at least two or three jobs, and their, their simulation isn't that good, and, and maybe they, you know, they take coaching, but it still isn't that good, well, then you've got that judgment call, don't you? Because if somebody who's, you know, been around the block and has had at least two or three sales jobs but they don't do well in the simulation, that tells you they're a professional interviewer, okay? I, I'm going to trust what they're going to do. You know, the interview, they're, they're, they're practicing in front of a mirror to their friends, to their buddies, whoever they can, these answers to these questions. But what they do in front of me as they're simulating a sale tells me is a much more ad, accurate predictor of how they're going to be than any question I might ask them. So it's always a balance between the two things. That, that's awesome. So, so let's say, John, that... Uh, we we've got the right person. Now, how do how do we make sure they get off to a great start? And, and I'm gonna give you a second question. I'm good for this. Um, and and then after that, you know, how do they continue to grow with us? You know, and how do we create the environment uh, where they grow with us successfully? So, two questions. Sorry, I do this 
So you're lucky you got off the hook. Sometimes I ask three or four at one time. So this is taking only it, two. Taking it easy on me. I appreciate it. So, yeah, <laughs> good question, though, okay? The first thing is you want to make sure that, you know, that you set the person up for success coming off. There's something I call, I call it productive orientation and development, or POD. And it's when somebody's coming on board, what do you do with that person? I know, you know, a lot of it, you know, how a lot of it happens now where people say, okay, that guy's really – he sold before. I'm just put him on the floor and let's see if he can sink or swim. Okay, well that's one way to do it. Yeah, the other way to do it is make sure he has everything that he needs. Make sure that you know he's been through some trainings before he actually get on the floor. Make sure he, you've got him partnered with one of the with one of the more experienced people who who's been a success in a mentoring role. I've set up many mentor programs where a person will come on board and part of their role is they have to sell two or three things underneath the mentor before they actually, you know, take and can be out on the floor by themselves and they got to bring their mentor in everything. The point is, is you got to set them up for success. You got to help them be successful. Let me do a quick timeout here. You know, something I'm always on my listeners about is mentoring. It's probably one of the single most productive things you could ever do. And and I'm going to say this to you. It's really important for you to understand this store owners if you don't think that your older superstar salesperson doesn't want to teach a younger person or even just a new person coming in you're dead wrong what will happen uh, to your older salesperson who is mentoring their numbers will actually go up because what happens when you teach you have to evaluate what you're doing before you present it to somebody and Actually, mentoring has a real powerful dynamic in a store. Not only will the student get valuable lessons, come on board quicker in a very positive way, but the old dog, so to speak, will also benefit. So I'm sorry to interrupt you. Please keep going. You're right right down with the mentoring. And I mean, the easiest analogy is is look at it with your kids. How many times have your kids, you you told your kids to do something, and then your kids said, Daddy, how come you don't do that, though? And I mean, (laughs) you know, when you're that mentor, you're you're sitting here too, telling that you're telling your, your mentee what to do and how to do it. And then you're, you know, you're going to make sure you're on your P's and Q's to make sure you're doing that. The best way to learn something, the best way to do something is to teach it, to be that good at teaching. And Pete, you're exactly correct. People, you show me a person out there that's good in sales that don't want to talk about how good they are in sales, and I'll show you a person who's not good in sales. You know what I mean? <laughs> if, people like, if we're good, we like to talk about it. So, you're, no, you're exactly dead on. So, but that, that ties into, you know, that ongoing aspect then too. So now you have that person who's successfully onboarded because you had a good setup. You might have set them up with that mentor relationship, like I said, you know, coming out of the gate. Well, now you want to, you know, you want that to continue. And the mistake that most people make, your store owners, you know, you name it alike, what they make is they say, okay, that guy's up and running. We don't need to do anything anymore. Well, there is a there is a, a study done by a, a group of folks uh, who work for the Gallup organization, and they, they what they found, wanted to find out was who should you spend your most time with, okay? And what they found out was that time spent with A and B players is ninety five times more effective than time spent with C and D players. All right, meaning you know if you got C and D players, get rid of them now. 
Okay, if they're not producing, get rid of them now because I don't care how much time and effort you put into it, they're not going to get better. But A and B players want to get better because they want to get, they want to improve, they want to make more money. You spend time with them, it's going to drastically impact your business, and it's going to send a message to your organization that you're still spending time with them. You're even though they're really good, and you might say, no, 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 that guy's great. I don't have to, I don't have to, you know, put any more time with them. That's wrong. Those guys still want the attention. Those guys, you know, those people still want to know that you're you're concerned about what's going on because if they think that you're not interested, well, guess what? They can do that at any store, can't they? They can go to any yeah, store. Like that. They that, want to absolutely. know. They want to know that the store owner's involved in what they're doing, and that's the way that you. And then you want to keep that environment going. You always got to be training. Always got to be learning. And I know what some of the store owners might be saying too. Oh, we always train. We have the we have the vendor reps coming in. We have Pete Primo coming in and talking about excellent. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about sales training. What happens in your store? Your store is a unique animal. Your store is unlike any other store out there. You need to train to what happens in your store and how it works. That's what you've got to do, and that's how you keep it going on going. That that's awesome, and I just have to add this. Uh, you know, the reason P Primo's P Primo. That's kind of creepy talking about myself in the third person. Is because I spent nine years in retail. Many of your factory apps have never ever sold one retail customer, let alone bought a new house, raised a family with three children on commission sales in retail. So I agree with John wholeheartedly. You have to have your training, always be training, always be learning, and always ask for the salespeople's you know input. They should help mold your training program. Yes. Uh, if they have ownership in it, they're going to buy into it. They're going to be passionate about it. When the, the, it's a you know your training program should not be static. It should grow and evolve over time, and it should be owned by your salespeople. Your salespeople, if they feel that they have ownership in the training program. They are going to take a lot of pride, especially when there's a new hire in, in you know, using that program and and helping that person get on board. So, you know, one of the big mistakes that we make, you know, John, is just, you know, hiring um, ABC company is advertising in furniture today and we're just going to plug into their program. No, don't do that. Yeah. You can create your own program. And you can do it with the input from your salespeople. Uh, we brought in John F. Lahan to Kronheim's. It was totally unsuccessful because they did not get the buy-in from the senior salespeople. There should have been a committee. You know, we had over 40, 50 salespeople at Kronheim's when I worked there. When Kronheim's was Kronheim's, not this leftover thing that exists yeah. today. But uh, when when they were a powerhouse in Cleveland and had uh, five stores in Cleveland and were the dominant player um, in Cleveland, you know, if they would have taken the top ten salespeople and they would have called it the Diamond Club, you know, mm -hmm. and the the top ten shippers in the company, and they come together once a quarter with a meeting with upper management and ownership. And they talk about how to implement training. And, and if, if ownership wanted to bring in John F. Lawhon, they could have done it. All they would have had to do is bring them into the decision-making process, and then they would have had it uh, done. But instead, they spent all this money, and I think four or five people 
did it. I was actually an administrator for the program, and I think we actually had five or six people out of about 50 salespeople. And it was it was really a, a tragic misstep for a really otherwise truly great company. No, you're, you're right on. You're right on again, Pete. I mean, the, the, the key is knowing what your what your own business's environment, um, natural balance, circadian rhythm, whatever it is, is meaning. Like you said, you want to get buy-in from the salespeople, but you might have these salespeople that want input but don't want to be in control. You might have some people who want control but don't want input. You, as the owner, okay, that's not on them. You know, that's not their fault that they don't, you're, not, you're putting them in the wrong role. That's on you to know what role that those people fit into and what you need to do. And your role for not controlling, you know, like, like you said, when you bring in an outside resource. That outside resource has to be told exactly where they're going to fit in the food chain and what the different pieces are. And it's got to be based on that, you know, keeping a good tank. You know, I was a, I, I loved having fish when I was a kid. And it was called keeping a good tank, keeping a good balance, the pH balance and that kind of stuff. And if you do that, you're a good fish guy when you can keep a good tank and a good store owner knows how to keep a good tank because he knows you know what these sales reps can do and what these sales reps can do and how they're you know what their strengths and weaknesses are and how to plug them in because not everybody has the same stuff and as, as store owners we get well we want all our guys to be like joe well guess what good luck if you want everybody to be like that one top guy that you have that's not going to happen you know you're going to have these different pieces parts and you're going to have some guys who are just as good but they do it a different way that's your job to know who fits where and when that's awesome. John, we could go on all day. We've been going for almost 25 minutes right now. So how, you know, there's a store owner out there and they go, wow, I, 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 want, I have some more questions. How do they continue this conversation that we just started with you, John? You know, how, how do our, uh, our owners get in touch with you? Sure, they can uh, reach me, you know, first, the easiest way, telephone 216 Three four seven six seven two nine. They can reach me via my website, matriximpact.com, just like it sounds, matriximpact.com. And also I'm part of the, the No BS group on Facebook. They can reach out to me that way as well. And if you reach out to you know via uh, via online to the website, uh, have blog posting, contact that type of stuff. You can sign up for that information, so you can get touched in a soft, passive way. Or if you want to reach out more actively with a phone call, you could do that as well. That's awesome. Thanks, John. That was great, great information. Thanks, buddy. Thank you for listening to the No BS Sales, Marketing, and More podcast for furniture and mattress stores. We love reviews at our podcast. They help us get found. Please review us at iTunes or Stitcher. And while you're there, please subscribe. This podcast was brought to you by Primo Furniture Sales. For more tips on selling furniture and mattresses, go to PetePrimo.com. Till we meet again, sell a million. Thank you.